This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hey guys, gonna do a quick content warning for this one. Yeah, obviously this is a shipwreck podcast, so there's a lot of death in all of these, but this one is particularly rough, and uh, it happened pretty recently. I don't know if that actually makes it any better or worse, but uh, it's it's worse, I'm gonna say. Yeah, so if you're sensitive to more grim topics, maybe uh, be aware as you progress through this episode. Yeah. Yeah, if, uh, if mass death is... Uh, triggering to you upsetting just just be aware because there's a lot of it in this one it's a really really sad story so yeah just keep that in mind going forward december 20th 1987 a passenger ferry full of holiday travelers is headed to the capital of the philippines manila It was a few days before Christmas and many of the people on board were headed there to spend the holidays with their families. Suddenly, a collision and a fire. What followed next was the worst peacetime ship disaster in world history. It would come to be known as Asia's Titanic, though the loss of life on the Doña Paz was far, far worse. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. I'm Brian. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. Yeah, we got this one's not fun. This one is not fun at all. Pretty dark, pretty yeah. grim. To call this a whoopsie is really doing a disservice to the word whoopsie. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel great. You may have noticed we do a very wordy and very stupid intro around this time of the show, but uh, I think for more recent disasters, especially the more grim ones uh, such as this, it may be best to glaze over that. Uh, we're still going to have fun and tell some jokes because well, that's the show. That's why we're talking and not a professional expert. Right. Uh, But we don't make those jokes at the expense of any of the victims of this tragedy. Yeah. I I mean, if if it happened in the early 1900s and before, everyone involved is long dead. Their ancestors are probably long dead. So that's fair game. Yeah. I Uh, mean, like (laughs) 1904, they would have been crushed by an early automobile or a trolley. Exactly. But yeah, this is very recent and really horrible. Speak for yourselves. One of my childhood enemies died on this, so there are going to be repeated dunks by BG. Just kidding. It's awful. It is. Th- yeah. There's nothing but tragedy yeah. on this yeah. episode. And with that said, let's get into it. The Doña Paz was a passenger ferry built in 1963 in Japan, and she initially had a passenger capacity of 608. I'm sure we'll be right right around that number. Well, this is ship hits the fan. Surely we will. In 1975, the ship was sold to Sulpicio Shipping Lines, a Filipino operator of passenger ferries. The ship was renamed Don Sulpicio, and her primary route was from the Philippines province of Cebu to the capital of Manila. Uh, Also, if we mispronounce anything, we apologize. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying our best over here. Cut to 1979, the ship was gutted by fire during one of her usual routes. More than 1,100 people were rescued, but the damage was extensive. The ship was repaired and later returned to service under the name Doña Paz. I guess, yeah, you just change the name and it's... You're good to go. I think it's like a ship of Theseus thing, right? You replace enough, you gotta call it something else. I guess, maybe. Anyway, the Doña Paz was reassigned to a new route, and by 1987, it was making a twice-weekly journey from Leyte Island to Manila. Uh, that seems kind of like a lot. Well, actually, but, no, yeah. Patrick. Okay. Okay. Stupid. Yeah. God. 
Just like if you're going to ask a question, like make it a good one. Mm-hmm. Way to uh, jump in with a real intelligent one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it is not a lot. Ship travel is customary for Filipinos who cannot afford airfare, and it makes sense in a country of over seven thousand islands. Yeah, the Jeez. Philippines is like all islands. It's all islands all the yeah. way down. Are they on all seven thousand of those, or is it like ten of them? And ah, that's so many islands. I don't know. I want. Yeah, maybe they're just very close together. <laughs> I'm not sure, but that is a crazy amount of islands. Yeah, so Brian, you're in Texas. An island is a landmass surrounded by water. Yeah, we have those at the bottom. It's called South Padre. It's where everybody goes for spring break in college and gets wasted. Oh, we have Big Island on Lake Minnetonka. Uh, We have the Jersey Shore. Not an island. Oh. Well, I guess it is an island if Avalon you consider is everything. A, well, no, is kind no, of an no, no, that you go. Well, Avalon is part of a seven mile stretch. You know, get the bay on. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. these vessels are frequently overloaded with passengers, sometimes resorting to sleeping on deck, uh, which brings us to the day of the accident, December 20th, 1987. The Doña Paz left the city of Tacloban on Leyte Island, headed north for Manila. It was a few days before Christmas, and the Doña Paz was heavily overcrowded with folks traveling home for the holidays, a detail that makes this all the more sad. Yeah. According to the ship's owner, there were 1,583 passengers and 60 crew listed on the manifest, but in reality, there were many, many more on board. So we're already over two times capacity. Yeah. From the 600 and whatever. And so we got, oh, wow. Yeah, this, and it's going to get way worse. Way worse. Again, yeah, that is uh, what the... The estimate? No, no, no. So this, that's what the owner listed on the manifest. The official. Yeah. yeah, the official. This is all very familiar. Yeah, this is a theme we've seen uh, quite a bit already on this show. Yes. Yeah, y- you will not, you could not guess the, how much more that figure is going to inflate. The added passengers, of which there were many on this ship, were not accounted for because passenger lists on inter-island ferries often didn't list children or people who bought tickets after boarding. Sure. It seems like an over... Like, okay. they bought tickets. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Like, you get onto the bus and you swipe your card, and then they don't count that? They just counted, like, advanced tickets? I guess. I don't know. Well, there's nothing better than getting on, like, a train and the conductor comes through and misses you. Yeah, you, you feel have, like you got away with murder. Absolutely. Yeah. I stole a mango the other day. But I felt the similar rush. Okay. I couldn't scan wow. it. Great to put that on the record. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't eaten it yet. I can bring it back. Probably for the best. <laughs> Meanwhile, an anonymous official of Sulpicio Lines later told UPI, the United Press International, that since it was the Christmas season, tickets were usually purchased illegally aboard the ship at a cheaper rate, and those passengers were not listed on the manifest. How does oh, that okay. even work? Uh, scalpers? Yeah, but why would it be cheaper? Because well, they're illegal. The The ship's already overloaded, so it's like, yeah, I can cut you a deal. Sure, like, yeah, yeah. Three I wonder where they're getting off. these tickets. Anyway, there were also around 1,000 uniformed military personnel on board. Uh, like the civilian passengers, they were also traveling to be with family for the holiday. So almost double capacity just in military personnel. Yeah. This is dumb of me, but I always forget that Christmas is a deal everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's like, oh, yeah, this is this is a worldwide thing. Well, not not for everybody, but yeah, it's it's a big deal. Like everybody, those last two weeks of the year just kind of, you know, ducks out of work early and heads home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. 
I, a quick aside, I watched Against the Ice last night, which is a movie on Netflix about a ship trapped in ice in an Arctic expedition, and I got to watch, you know, men driven to madness by the cold celebrate yep. Christmas yep. in a hut with dwindling food and resources. It's important. <laughs> and that's my favorite kind of Christmas. Yeah. So we've set the scene. The Doña Paz overcrowded, and its captain, Eusebio Nazareno, was due in Manila the next morning. Mm. Okay, so I wrote the script, so I know what happens next. But what do you two think? Just take a guess as to what what happens next. Uh, something d- very bad. Yeah, I would imagine something not well. What am I doing? I already read this. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad. It's really it's bad. terrible. So as you may have guessed by now, the Doña Paz never makes it to Manila. At about 10 p.m. that night, the ferry was about 100 miles south of Manila, just off Marinduque Island. Most of the passengers were asleep when disaster struck. Yeah, and like so overcrowded, they're all just sleeping on the floors. If you look up videos of this, it is like, I mean, there's people just like they're they're almost sleeping standing up or like they're kind of like sitting in a little, you know, bunch. Oh, God. It's, it's so crowded on there. And you're on a boat. You got nowhere to go. Yeah. Like you just have nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I felt confined on a cruise ship that was filled to its legal capacity. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine this. Suddenly, the Doña Paz collides with the MT Vector, an oncoming oil tanker traveling to Maspate Island. Loaded aboard the Vector were 8,300 barrels of oil. And what happens next is not pretty. Oh, God. The crash caused the Vector's cargo to ignite and the fire spread onto the Doña Paz. Immediately, an inferno engulfs both ships and the surrounding waters. Yeah, and that's part of, like, the water is on fire, too, because it's just oil, I guess, floating on the top, burning. So it is the the worst possible scenario here. Yeah, so even if you get in the water, the water is on fire. Yeah, and oil doesn't, it doesn't come right off. So this this is really tremendously awful. One of the survivors, Samuel Carrillo, said he was walking to the ship's canteen after a chat with the captain when he felt, quote, a jerk and an explosion. He added, I went up there and flames were all over and I jumped. I don't blame you, dude. Yeah. I, seriously, yeah. when you hear how many people actually survived this incident, that's the immediate quick flash judgment decision that that saved them. Yeah. Like, it, it was just so rapid and, oh, God. One thing this podcast has taught me after three episodes, just jump. If yeah. something goes wrong on the ship, if they're out of stake, jump. Just yeah, get, get out. There. Yes, um, into a part of the water that's not on fire, though. Like if this possible, is a yeah. bad situation. And this is like a full-on oil tanker. Yeah. This isn't like a, yeah, this is like a giant f***ing cargo ship These that things are crashed massive. into. Another survivor, a passenger named Paquito Osabel, later told reporters, quote, I went to a window to see what happened, and I saw the sea in flames. That is biblical. I know. What do you even do? Well, they must have jumped or, or gotten out somehow because Osabel was on board with his sister, Alejandra, and his nieces, Evangelica, Annalisa, and Loretta. He was taking them to spend Christmas with his family in Manila, and he never saw them again. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it's, uh, it's grim. But that, that's the thing. It's, it's entirely families on here. Yes. Just going, trying to get home for Christmas. I mean, and if you've traveled around Christmas, like it's not, it's starting off bad. Yeah, the, but the baseline is kind of a nightmare. 
Yeah, some of the worst traffic I've ever been in in my life has been like sitting on the interstate trying to get home for the holidays. And then you just get jammed up. And this is the ship equivalent to that, except you're all compressed into one little ship. Yeah, Yeah. you're slammed in and on fire. And yeah, I would say some experiences are worse than ours. Well, yes. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, Osabel later said, the fire spread rapidly and engulfed our ship. There were flames everywhere. People were screaming and jumping. The smoke was terrible. We couldn't see each other and it was dark. I could see flames on the water below, but I jumped anyway. Oh, right. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah. It's so dark. So it's, and they're in like open water, I think. They're like out there. I believe so. So both vessels sank. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty significant crash and the oil slick water was on fire. One survivor estimated that the flames on the water were a kilometer wide. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Immense. Passengers on the Doña Pass had to make the terrible choice to stay on the burning ship or jump into the burning sea. Oh. What's worse, the Philippine Coast Guard did not learn of the accident until more than eight hours later. Holy, so you're just floating in fire water for eight hours. Well, it took them another eight hours to launch an official search and rescue oh, operation. Oh, okay. So, so at best, you're 16 hours. Yeah. Okay. And I imagine you can't really breathe. Like you're trying to tread water and there's just smoke. The whole air is smoke. The ocean is on fire. Yeah, it's horrendous. It's hellish. But fortunately, most of the survivors did not have to wait 16 hours. They were plucked from the flaming waters by a passing merchant vessel, the Don Clodio. By then, the survivors had been swimming for more than an hour. Okay, so I mean, that's, yeah. Still bad. And uh, here's a particularly gruesome detail. Days after the collision, the coast of the nearest island was littered with corpses washed ashore. Oh, God. Yeah. Oof. Oh, it gets worse. Yeah, well, uh, villagers came out and dug holes in the sand to bury them, and fishing boats came to shore with bodies in their nets. Oh. So, the aftermath. The disaster was felt all over the world. Philippine president at the time, Corazon Aquino, described the accident as, quote, a national tragedy of harrowing proportions. I mean, yeah, that... It's putting it lightly, even. Yeah, that's about right. Pope John Paul II, Queen Elizabeth II, all the big seconds, conveyed their official messages of condolence. Time Magazine and others called the sinking of Doña Paz the deadliest peacetime maritime disaster of the 20th century, which uh, it is. Yeah. At least... Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So how many how many people actually like died? Well, if we go by the manifest, we have the number, but it was way more than that. So the number remains something of a mystery. Sulpicio shipping lines insisted that the Doña Paz was not overcrowded. They said the ship's manifest listed only 1,493 passengers. Days after the crash, they released a slightly revised manifest showing 1,583 passengers and 58 crew members on the ship. Yeah, and I I think part of the reason why this, this tragedy didn't get maybe all the attention everywhere is because I read a lot of the initial reports like the day after uh, in doing research. And and all the headlines kind of uh, from the Associated Press were like 1,500 feared dead, which is obviously awful, like not underplaying that. But the real figure would turn out to be many times more than that. And I think it was one of those things where, well, you'll see later on, but there's kind of a cover up. And, and so it, it's not like the full number was known instantly. I think if that had happened, it would have been a bigger story, but it was kind of, I think reporters and press outlets kind of 
didn't really give it the attention it deserved at first. And then kind of only later do you realize the the magnitude of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fortunately, the shipping company was not the only investigation. There were subsequent investigations that determined otherwise. In 1988, the Philippine National Bureau of Investigation stated on the basis of interviews with relatives that there were at least 3,099 passengers and 59 crew on board with 3,134 onboard fatalities. God. But it gets worse. Yeah. Don't don't worry, it gets worse. It does get even worse because in 1999, a presidential task force report estimated on the basis of court records and more than 4,100 settlement claims that there were 4,341 passengers. So like seven times? Capacity of what, 600 plus? 608, I believe was the capacity initially. How do you even fit that many people on? It's, well, not ethically. (laughs) <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, like, literally, physically, how do you fit 4,300 people on a ship with a capacity of 600? It reminds me of uh, seeing videos of repurposed ocean liners taking troops across the ocean for, like, yeah, World yeah. War II, where they would just yes, put on, like, yes. 6,000 on a yeah. ship meant to carry, like, hundreds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a very different situation, but uh, it, it's really startling to see a, a ship like that filled to the brim. Yeah. When the deceased crew members were added, the total dead was estimated at more than 4,300 people. Only 24 people, including two crew members, survived. Good God. Of the 24 passengers who survived, only five were listed on the manifest. Oh, So obviously, yeah, many times more. That's that's kind of a, a, a little... Uh, uh, miniature of what happened. You know, it's like a quarter of those were on the manifest, or uh, uh, 20%. Yeah, if that's indicative at all of the larger picture, then you can't go by the official manifest at all. Yeah, no. That is, I mean, most of these shipwrecks, it's either like everyone dies or half the people. This is like 24 people lived. That is so Mm -hmm. horrible. Like a, of 4,300, holy sh**. You wonder how did those 24 make it? You know, if flames are like a kilometer wide, did they just find like a little patch where they could kind of swim out of and then tread water? You know, but it is like. Honestly, I, I think that is basically it. I think there's like, you know, patches of ocean that don't have, that are not on fire. And if you were lucky enough to jump into one of those few like patches of water, I guess maybe that's. That's it. But then you still have to swim for an hour yeah. before the, yeah. That, yeah. you know, so it's like, it's, it's like this awful series of physical challenges and it's oh awful. We also don't know, uh, well, we, the podcast don't know 24 people in a kilometer of, of oil fire. We don't know how close they were to other survivors, right? which way they were headed. It's pitch black, mm-hmm. like it's 10 PM. Anyway. Now we get to talk about what caused the disaster. The ship hits the fan specialty, which is covering the blame game. Yeah. Oh, and don't worry. There is plenty of ass covering uh, that goes on in the aftermath. Mm -hmm. Interviewing survivors was, as you may imagine, difficult because there were so few. All the officers on board the Doña Paz were killed. Two crew members from the Vector survived, but both had been asleep during the crash. So I guess, yeah, if you're planning on crashing a ship, go to sleep. I guess... I I don't know, uh, and th- that answers the, the question. Uh, the captain did go down with the Doña Paz and the empty vector. The crew members woke up and were like, I had the weirdest dream. Oh, shit. Oh, that was not a dream. How many people, how many crew members were there on the vector? It wasn't very many, right? 
Yeah, it was my, I I don't know exact, but it was like far, far less. It was like 20 something, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's because it's a cargo ship, so you're not going to have that many people on board. A lawyer for the Vector said the Doña Paz was overloaded, which affected its maneuverability. The lawyer claimed that the Vector didn't realize the overloaded ferry couldn't turn and avoid it. Okay. And now keep in mind, his job is to defend the Vector here. So, you know, he's he's saying basically the Doña Paz was so overloaded that it couldn't move at all. And the Vector just wasn't that it was like, oh, I didn't realize it could not turn at all. So it's not my fault. Yeah, and you had to wonder if they had this guy on retainer because the Vector had a history of its own problems. A former captain said its steering rudder was defective and difficult to maneuver. It was so hard to steer, in fact, that it took two people to do it. Oh, God. Okay. Never good. Never a good sign. Yeah, that seems like something that should be uh, fixed. You would think so, right? Yeah. As a result of two people steering it, the Vector would have approached the Doña Paz in a zigzag formation. That motion would have confused the Doña Paz. Yeah. That would have confused me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it it seems incredibly confusing because in the middle of the night, ships have to use different colored lights to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. So for instance, when the vector showed a green light, that indicated it would pass on the right, starboard, for those of you paying attention, Uh the right side of the Doña Pass. A red light would mean that it would pass by on the left or port side of the Doña Pass. Yeah. And a white light means that it's headed straight for the Doña Pass. You don't want to see the white one. You don't want to see the white one. Sir, there's a white light. What should we do? Um, let's turn. Let's mm-hmm. turn some way. Let's go Just somewhere pick else. pick a direction. Well, so because the vector is zigzagging from left to right, the Doña Paz would see a constantly changing series of lights. Red, white, green, white, red, confusing the watch officer aboard the ship in even the best of conditions. Yeah. I'm just going to jump at that. I'm just going to jump at that point. If the lights are changing that way, it's like, oh, yeah. he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. Just uh, you take off your cap and you go. I'm gonna, I'm yeah, gonna I, dip. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm good actually. I resign my post as second mate. Mm-hmm. Yes. And investigators found other issues. The vector was undermanned and underqualified. Okay, good. that's right. The chief officer did not have a chief mate license and was only licensed to serve as second mate. Oh. Yeah. The chief engineer had no license at all. Oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. And perfect. The Vector had no qualified lookout on the bridge. Ah. Yeah. Very good. They just had someone with a light clicker just was just flipping from light to the light. The only guy they oh, had God. working that night was the light clicker. Investigators questioned why the Vector was allowed to sail at all. It had no certificate of inspection or Coast Guard license, which are basic documents to declare that it was seaworthy. This was like you and some friends out on a boat. I feel like you were just as qualified as the vector to to set sail. Hey, I bought an oil <laughs> I bought an oil ship. Hey, check out this light. It has three colors. <laughs> hey, let's take this home for Christmas and show our buddies. God. <laughs> oh good. I have 8300 barrels of oil I've been meeting to transport. In hell. But considering all that, even if the vector had approached in a zigzag motion, why didn't the Donia Paz avoid it? Yeah. Well, sea rules dictate that if you're approaching another ship head on, each ship should tack starboard to avoid the other. Mm-hmm. That you makes know, sense. Basic, you know, driving yeah. the right. Yeah. Adding to the mystery is the fact that both ships were moving very, very slow. You've got tremendous weight on either ship. So it's not like they're racing towards each other. Yeah, they are moving very slowly. Here's where I do think the overcrowding on the Donya Pass was an issue. 
because I'll bet it was really hard. I mean, you're right, both of them were hard, but I do think the fact that it was so overloaded played some sort of role in this. I mean, yeah, that's so much more weight. It's like essentially a battering ram at that point. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. yeah, it was traveling a little bit faster than the Vector. Commodore Benjamin Mata, a maritime safety expert, told National Geographic in a documentary that the tragedy wasn't a high-speed incident. The Donia Paz was apparently moving at 26 kilometers per hour and the Vector at eight. Both were surrounded by wide open sea and they had plenty of space to avoid a crash. Yeah, so it's just like two incredibly slow-moving ships just slowly drifting together in open water. Yeah, it wasn't busy. It, yeah, apparently there was just wide, plenty of room to 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 get away, and then it just didn't have. It, it's almost the the odds were all really small that this would actually happen. You know what I mean? Like given all the space. Yeah, I mean that when people say something's like a slow motion train wreck, this is probably the most literal like. Yes. Yeah. Way you could see something like this. Mata compared it to a turtle ramming into the belly of a porpoise and said he didn't understand why the Donia Pass didn't simply take evasion. Right. It d yeah, it doesn't make sense. It's so slow and there's it's, it's the ocean. There is infinite amount of space to go. I mean, it's so drastic. Mata speculated that the watch officers on both ships might have fallen asleep. That like that, that's how sense. baffling this is. Yeah. Uh, experts also wondered why the Donia Paz and Vector did not communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. It is an international requirement that all ships be equipped with VHF radio in order to communicate. Yeah. But unfortunately, the Vector, on top of all its missing documentation, <laughs> had an expired radio license, and the radio license of the Donia Paz was a fake. Okay. Good, good. So no, no qualified people on board. The steering wheel takes two people to control uh -huh. and we can't communicate with anybody. Well, they could communicate, I think. It's just like the radio license, it doesn't affect, you can still use your radio. You're just yeah. technically doing it illegally. Okay. But okay. at least All with right. that, it's like they still had a radio, hopefully. Uh, well, I don't know. It's it's a hindrance nonetheless. Yeah. Like it's oh, possible yeah, yeah. they didn't have someone properly trained to exactly. use either. Sure. This is all speculation on our part, yeah. too, by the way. They were definitely playing loose with all the protocols, to say the least. So the official investigation ruled out overcrowding on the Donia Pass, and it dismissed eyewitness accounts, ruling that they weren't qualified to count the actual number of passengers. Okay. They took the word of the Philippine Coast Guard boarding team who insisted that they conducted a proper headcount at the time. Sure. In the end of this, Sulpicio Shipping Lines was not held liable. Of course not. No, this drew howls of protest from relatives of the survivors. Family of each victim got $400 US from Sulpicio as compensation. The thousands who were not on the manifest got nothing. Sick. Yeah, and there's footage of all these families like just mass civil unrest as a result of this. I mean, people sort of demanding answers, you know, uh, uh, just kind of l uh, crowded outside of the, the the Coast Guard offices and all these people like demanding to know where their loved ones were. I mean, relatives very understandably just went nuts trying to get answers. Well, because also imagine, so it's 4,300 people that are dead. Think about how many like families that is on like on not on the ship, but just the amount of people that that would have affected is the, insane. This ripples out so much. Basically like 3,000 families that weren't, or 3,000 victims that weren't counted. Yeah. It's it's really awful. I was just watching that uh, Boeing documentary, Downfall, and mm -hmm. it shows footage of the families going to the crash site. And it's yeah. some of the most harrowing and heartbreaking footage that, that you can see. 
One complicating matter was that the Board of Marine Inquiry, BMI, was under the umbrella of the Philippine Coast Guard, which was responsible for ensuring proper passenger loads on ferries. Ah. And the BMI was the one doing the investigation. Yes. To clarify, mm-hmm. And yeah. so this is where you kind of, you, you, you go, hmm, something's not right here. This yeah, seems pro- like a this bad probably chain isn't the of correct command. group to. Not at all. Self regulation yeah. does not really happen. Yeah. And so the BMI said that even if the Doña Paz was overcrowded, if, huge if, mm-hmm. that had nothing to do with the collision. They said that the cause of the tragedy was the collision itself. It's not about the overcrowding. And okay. so investigators ultimately blamed the vector, which is not without blame, as we've covered. I mean, yeah. But the ultimate question remains why did the captain and crew of the Doña Paz not take action? Yeah, because it seemed to have a full crew. That that's that is a big mystery. It was overcrowded, hard to steer. But again, you're in open water. You've got room. So what? It, it, it's just strange that okay, the vector might have been like severely understaffed, but the Doña Paz seemed to have qualified people on board. Yeah, and people who had probably made this trip hundreds of times. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Probably, but maybe that lended a false sense of confidence or security. Uh, Military officer Lufgardo Nieto was on board the Doña Paz. Like others on the ferry, he was on his way home to Manila. During the trip, he said he met a fellow soldier who said that there was a party at the ferry's bridge. Oh. Which included the captain just minutes before the crash. The soldier told Nieto, I heard music and laughter. They were having fun. Oh, great. So... They weren't asleep at the wheel. They were maybe drunk at the at wheel. The, maybe drunk. I don't know. Uh, distracted. It sounds like this is why you never go to office parties. Office holiday parties never good. Something bad always happens. Oof. <laughs> Another survivor, Salvador Bescal, said he heard music and laughter from the crew of the ship, telling Nat Geo, "I guess there was dancing up there. They were having fun, not the passengers." Or I okay. should say they were having fun, not the passengers. No, the passengers were not were not having fun. Yeah. So who was manning the bridge? Some survivors said an apprentice mate might have been steering the Doña Paz at the time of the crash. Oh, that's great. That's good. I hope they had a good party. I I don't know. Um, not the best, probably, in the grand scheme of things. It was 1987. They had just watched RoboCop, I bet, and they were just like stoked. They're like, let's let's party. We yeah, party. that's going to get you in the mood. Nieto said the experience traumatized him for life, saying, quote, I don't want to ride a ship again. I won't, even if it's for free. Uh, yeah, I don't blame him. Never. I, I don't want to ride one after just doing this podcast. I never want to ride no, one. No, no, absolutely yeah. not. It was only a matter of time before we hit something truly dark. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, this is there's a real human toll. There's a real human cost to these things. And so often it, at its root is corruption, lack of safety procedures. Corner cutting. Incompetency. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's another detail that we didn't mention before is why did so few survive? Well, yeah. It was reported that the life jackets were locked away. Oh, Normal. Oh, yeah. That's normal. Yeah. So, you know, passengers are searching, searching. Where are the life jackets? Where are the life preservers? They are not available. They are locked away. And and, and I, I can't fathom why that would happen. Assuming just some sounds illegal. It does sound illegal. Uh, I don't even. I couldn't tell you if it was intentional. This is also one of those kind of like the one we covered last week, where it happens like it happens so fast. Yeah. 
like some of these some of these shipwrecks, even like the I guess they all all the ones we've covered so far are they're over and done with pretty quick. The actual event. I mean, this happens. one and the last one, especially because the that one was an explosion, and then this is kind of also an explosion. Collision. I guess. I mean, yeah. yeah, but the Eastland it just turned over. It right, all happened at once. But like sometimes you know with those, it's like yeah, there's always at the initial moment of like a, a bunch of people die or something, but most of the people on board have like some time to sort of make a game plan, look around for stuff to float. Like even people on the Titanic were throwing chairs and stuff into the ocean just so they they might ha- find something to float on. This yeah. is like, boom, you're asleep, surrounded by people. All of a sudden, I don't know, you probably hear a bang and the your entire world is on fire. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't really have time, I can't imagine, to actually even look for life preservers and stuff like that. It's just you have to make that split-second decision Either I'm staying on or jumping in the water. Yeah. And either option is bad, it seems like, in this case. Yeah, kind of a damned if you do, damned yeah, if you don't. Yeah, it's just luck almost. I, I also wonder, were either of y'all aware of this? Because this was the first time I'd heard of this. And it seems sort of crazy that there was that Nat Geo documentary from like maybe about 15 years ago. Yeah. And that was just kind of a TV, a very standard like TV documentary. But but other than that, and this was three times worse than the Titanic. I mean, it was, yeah. and it was more recent. You know, uh, uh, it's from a part of the world that does not get a lot of coverage in the media. So I think that was a lot of it. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Is it? It's yeah. probably the fact that it's not a bunch of like you know the Titanic or something where it's and almost entirely just very wealthy white people. Yeah, celebrities, few celebrities on there, and there's that whole story around it. Like there's. The Titanic, the whole thing is very romantic, right? Like it's the maiden voyage. It's unsinkable. It's all these things. And also a lot of rich white people. A lot of this rich is, white people. There's nothing romantic about this. It's just horrifying. This is very poor working class people. Yeah, just going home for the holidays. And again, like you said, it's, it is not in a part of the world that gets a lot of coverage. I think we're definitely also trained to be like, well, you know, stuff like that happens there. I mean, that's how that's how it's reported a lot of the times, too, I think. It's just like, well, you know, it's but this isn't, you know. Yeah. And on the press accounts I read, like the day after, there was a line in there. No Americans were thought to be on. Oh, good. And I I hate that line. Yes. It's like like that matters. (laughs) Right. I feel like uh, calling it Asia's Titanic trivializes it. It's. It's like comparing it to like, well, it's like it's like our thing, but and and we're not really going to cover it. Anymore. It's like our thing, which happened a hundred years ago and was nowhere near as tragic as this. Yeah, it, it, this is like, this sh- like this doesn't really happen. Yeah. Anyway, that's the Donia Pass. Sorry if we've uh, ruined your morning or whenever you're uh, listening to this particular episode. Yeah. <laughs> not much to say besides it's it's a really really awful tragedy. And it's it's just it's heartbreaking. It's it's yeah. really terrible and really awful. And uh, if you stuck it through, hello, thank you, welcome back. <laughs> we made it through. Yeah. Yes, and now you get to hear this week's honorable mention. Just to lighten it up a bit. Just to lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. This one's kind of fun. It's uh, let's hear the honorable mention foghorn first of all. Oh, beautiful, it's nice, nice. Oh, sorry, I just wanted to get in there. No, no that was can... good. Everyone's foghorn is different. Yeah. Never, ever. For any reason. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Certainly not to us. We don't know you anything, and you don't owe us anything. Today's honor goes to the S.A. Agulhas II, a research vessel, 
So I found out about this today. The Agohas' mission, uh, this was updated recently, like this month, mm -hmm. was to search for Ernest Shackleton's famous lost ship Endurance. It was frozen in the ice about 100 years ago, like 1912. Yeah. While doing so, this research vessel also got stuck in the ice. Ah. In basically oh. the same spot that the Endurance was last spotted in 1915. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. that's when you just look to the camera and shrug. Yeah, whoopsies. There are even quotes where they're like, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen to us. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, they're fine, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, not, like, yeah. Technology has come pretty far in the past, yeah. you know, 110 years or so. Yeah. Uh, and so the ship was freed after a few hours of intensive work, it sounds like, using like, they used like cranes to like swing around helicopter fuel and like dislodge it. I don't know oh how that works huh. mechanically. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. There was another quote. They were like, they were like, this is not what this is supposed to be. I'm not having fun. I want to go home. Uh -huh. Yeah. Can't blame you. <laughs> Historian on board named Dan Snow, uh, unfortunate name, was quoted as saying, clever people did say to me on the way, how do you know you're not going to get iced in like Shackleton? I said, don't worry about that. We've got all the technology but we are now iced in. <laughs> <laughs> so, shouts out Ooh. to the Agulhas. Yeah. Agulhas, Agulhas. Never change. Never change. Keep humans. Things be staying the same, don't they? Yeah. It is a little reassuring that there are parts of the world still that no matter how many iPhones we have or all this technology, it's still like so inhospitable. We can't really, we can't, we can't control it yet. Yeah. No, not no. at all. And, and, you know, it's nice that we're not in that, that phase necessarily where it's like, we need to stake our claim mm -hmm. on the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> we, need, yeah. we need an American flag there stat. Immediately. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just, I thought this was funny. Like, let's go look. They, like, they were looking for the ship, and yeah. then they got stuck because it dropped to, like, negative Oopsies. 10 Celsius. Yeah. Which, I don't know what that is. Well, it's 10 below freezing. Zero is freezing. Zero is freezing? Yeah. Okay. Oh. I mean, I don't no, know. no, it's, is it? Right? Yeah. Isn't zero freezing in Celsius? I don't know. We're in dangerous territory. Oh, here. God. Yeah, we're Americans. exposing our asses. Yeah. Right. Uncultured Americans. Yeah. Imperial system for life, man. <laughs> that ship hits the fan. Thank you for listening. Thank uh, you. You can tune back in next week. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. I'm Brian. Uh, you can follow us on socials at Ship Hits Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Yes. So we'll be putting some more stuff there. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll look around for some of the less gruesome uh, photos. I, I'm gonna try to keep it lighter for the next, or or, or at least it can't get any darker. That's that's maybe. Oh, the Brian, line it can always get darker. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty oh, rough. This pretty one's pretty bad, bad yeah. though. Yeah. So again, thanks for listening. Hey, before you leave today, why don't you get on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, give us a follow. Give us a review if yeah. you like it. Uh, don't give us a review if you didn't like it. Or yeah. give us a give us a five star review, pretending to have liked it. That yeah. would work too. But always five stars, no matter what. If you yeah. give us a five star review that's negative, it might get read on the show. Sure. Yeah. Oh. And hey, you know what? Tell a friend. Drag them into this mess too while you're at it. Uh, tell a friend. Tell all your friends. Tell your family. Uh, I know our mothers have listened to the show now. My mom is a big podcast head. She's she really enjoyed it. Great. Uh, she said, when's the next one? I need it. I loved it. Hey, dude, I just heard something really depressing on this podcast. You should be, too. Do you want to have your day ruined, too? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ruin your friend's day. Mm -hmm.